listening to the Mouthful of Graffiti Podcast. The mod, not to be mistaken for John Candy's half-man, half-dog character from 1987 Spaceballs, is a mouthpiece for Mid-Atlantic creatives. I'm your host, Brad Cox, the Mog Father, a name affectionately coined and given to me by conversations with Rich Bennett, and I'm here to let you into the Mog House. Let's see who and what we're chewing on today on the Mog. The Mog, podcasting from Underground Studios, aims to be an all-inclusive, all-things-creative networking megaphone, and with the amount of talent we have in our own backyard, I don't know that we'll ever have a shortage of good content and rich stories to tell. Everyone has a story that's uniquely their own, and it's the Mog's mission to unearth it. The Mouthful Graffiti Podcast started as a seed and couldn't have grown without the support of those who sponsored us along the way. We'd like to thank Musicland, Reb Records, Capricos Books, The Gone But Never Forgotten Black-Eyed Susie's, Vagabond Sandwich Company, Double Groove Brewing, and the Baltimore Decal Gal. Don't forget to use discount code MOGPOD for a 10% discount at Capricos Books. Everyone knows you can't stop by Main Street Bel Air without grabbing some fresh new wax at Reb Records, followed by a delicious lunch at Vagabond Sandwich Company. While you're in town, swing by Musicland for the latest in gear and rentals or a relaxing pint at Double Groove Brewing. The Sarah Evans Copy That Tour is coming to the APG FCU Arena on February 24th at 7.30 p.m. With hits like Suds in a Bucket, Born to Fly, and No Place That Far, this isn't a show you'll want to miss. For tickets, visit HartfordEvents.com. The Hip Play Ballerinas, blending their unique fusion of hip-hop and ballet, will be coming to the Amos Center on February 26th at 3 p.m. For tickets, visit tickets.harford.edu. Don't miss the Harlem Globetrotters 2023 World Tour, also coming to the APG FCU Arena on March 1st at 7 p.m. If you're looking for the ultimate fan experience, pick up a couple Magic Pass tickets. Grab all your tickets in advance at harfordevents.com. Today on the show, I've got an artist I've been meaning to get booked for some time. He plays the type of acoustic indie alternative rock that can best be described as the happy marriage of the Arctic Monkeys and the Beatles. Whether he's strumming his fiddle at a galloping pace or slugging away like a Sunday morning porch jam, his music is deeply personal. At times, it's as if he's sat with a feeling and is comfortable pumping the brakes and allowing the song to come out in a more emotive fashion, while at other times, his music has an unmistakable sense of urgency, as if he simply can't wait to share his story with the world. One thing is for certain, he's a solo singer-songwriter at heart and extremely talented. I'm happy to have him on the show. Join me in welcoming Matthew Battaglia, B-Tags, to the MOG. B-Tags, welcome to the Mouthful of Graffiti podcast. I am super excited to have you on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's it's great to finally be here. Now, you're somebody that I've heard uh, a lot about. I feel like we have to have met each other at some place. Even my other band, We Love the Underground, possibly playing with Vendetta. But did we meet prior to 20 minutes ago in my kitchen? Um, I don't think we formally met, but I do recall seeing you out one time at the record. And this was... Was it the Heartbent show? Yeah, okay. that was, and that was like over a year ago, I think. Yeah, I, I had stopped by a Zen West show, and then on my way back, I think it was Pat Rennie or somebody was like, swing by, and and I did. And unfortunately, I got there too late to actually catch Hartbent, who, uh, I don't know uh, if you're going tonight, but are you going for Elle's birthday at the Metro Gallery? Um, If there's still tickets, I might be able to get out there. But... Well, as you know, it's sold out. But I, I know when it says sold out, if you go to the door, you can still typically get in. Yeah, there's some, it might be one of those things where I'll be like, and Redacted's also playing, and I'm a huge fan of those guys too. 
So we didn't meet like at Musicland or anything like that. I know that's kind of a generic thing to think, two musicians running into each other at, at yeah. Musicland. But I don't know. It, it was really weird. Like, who's the Matt that works at Musicland? That's Matt Bressler. Okay, That's so, another Matt B. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I constantly conflated the two of you. I would be like... Matt, uh, when are we getting you on the show? And he'd be like a little bit confused because I was actually <laughs> referring to you. Well, don't be mistaken. He does his he does his singer songwriter thing too. You know. Can we get the two Matts together to form a project? I think that that could work. Yeah, it could work. You're not working at the moment. Where are you working? Where where could people find Matt Battaglia when he does not have a guitar strapped to his back? Uh, Slices Pizzeria with Scott Miser, my yes. daughter's very own Scott Miser. <laughs> So this is a surprise for Matt Battaglia. This is Scott Miser, a good friend of Matt Battaglia. Scott, how did you meet Matt? I met Matt playing football freshman year at the John Carroll School. He was our kicker. Okay. And I was a middle linebacker. Okay. It was a very um, odd pairing, but somehow, you know, the inside linebacker and the kicker became really good friends. Was he as good at kicking as he is at music? Truthfully, you, you can be hmm. honest here. Maybe not, because <laughs> he, he's such a talented musician. But I'll tell you he what, is. he knew how to put a ball through the uprights. We knew we could count on Matt anytime we counted. And you didn't come here to talk about this, but you yourself are uh, a musician, electronic music. I do. I, do, I uh, produce a little bit, mainly DJ. I've actually DJed at the Black Susie's open mics, and uh, I always loved it when me and uh, B-Tags could be back-to-back. Uh, -back. I always wanted to uh, us to be back-to-back, -back and we yeah. always had fun doing that. Did you guys ever do any songs together, or could we get a pairing of Scott Miser and Matt Battaglia or B-Tags in the future? That would be super cool to do. It would be do. super cool. It would be. You guys could create like a new genre. It would be like folk trap. That would be awesome. Awesome. Yes. I couldn't imagine that. We could be pioneers of a whole you new age. You could be pioneers, yeah. <laughs> so before we get into a couple fun questions, because we're completely hijacking his episode right now, what would you like to tell Matt Battaglia? Matt Battaglia, I just want to make sure that you are always tucking and cuffing. All right? I know that's... Tucking and cuffing? <laughs> what does that mean? Because so, you, you're going to have to explain. Cause... So I have this thing where every time I see Matt, I base his mood off of his outfit. He has a no tuck, no cuff. Okay. A, a tuck, no cuff. A cuff, no tuck. Oh. And a tuck and cuff. And when he tucks and cuffs, that means his shirt's tucked in. He's got his pants all, all is this cuffed business, up. Matt? This is full-on B-Tags mode. Okay. Because I know Matt Battaglia, and whenever I see the tuck and cuff, I know he's in full-on B-Tags musician rock star mode. Okay, because well, yesterday when he came over, he looked like he was ready to set up at the Ocean City Boardwalk and play some acoustic jams. I don't know if he was tucking or cuffing, but... <laughs> I, I was not aware of that. I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> that totally would be his speed. Just go down to the boardwalk. He's got a great voice, too. Uh, you, what's funny is, is... It's very soft, but it's like... He, he can I, hit those higher notes. A lot of us have to actually project to hit high notes. Yeah. I, it was crazy. So I, um, when I first realized he was a good singer was when I saw him play at Black Eyed Susie's for the first time. He had already dropped a couple of his demos... And I thought it was somebody else singing. And then I heard him sing and I was like, oh, wow. Like, I did not expect that because I only ever saw him play bass or just, yeah. like, you know, make some loops. And 
But that was a really big surprise. So you guys both work at Slices, mm-hmm. which is the pizza shop right across from the Chili's in Bel Air. What is his work ethic like? You know, <laughs> he... I'm going to leave that pause there. <laughs> he works hard. He does cook up some mean grilled chicken and broccoli okay. when he's on the clock. He... Uh, he always likes to play his ukulele when there's some downtime. So I'll just come back from a delivery and I'll just see him in his car, you know, feet out the window, just playing his ukulele, waiting for his order to be ready. That's fantastic. I just picture him there with like a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. <laughs> I know he quit, but, you know. There's been a couple of times where that might have been the case. <laughs> so when you guys would get together and you were partying or whatever, what kind of music would you listen to? So it's interesting um, because whenever there'd be parties, sometimes I would actually like DJ for a little bit and then we'd always there'd always be like a mix of like you know people just um grabbing their guitars and just jamming out for a little bit then you know I like got DJ for a little bit and it'd be a lot of different musicians and bands from Harford County what we would all be together and it's like we would all just kind of express our different yeah. um music in different ways and it was always so many good times do you have a favorite B-Tag song B-Tag's The Rambler that's my so song. So that's the deep cuts. You have to go to the SoundCloud to get to the deep cuts. Oh yeah, no, that's I, that's one of my favorite yeah. ones. That one, um, Clutch is really good as well. I like Dark Arts. Dark Arts, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, it's very catchy. Yeah, the Ram. See, that one always gets me going. I when he played his first show, I was like front and center, just singing it back to him. You know, we were in a perfect harmony. This has been a Mog Takeover with Scott Miser. Scott, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me, B Tags. I love you, Bowie. Now, for those who don't know, Slices Pizza was the old Dino's. I mean, yeah. that was a Beller staple for like 30 years. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember it as a kid. It's a great place to work, man, honestly. Did they get rid of the Donkey Kong machine and the Miss Pac-Man <laughs> machines and all that? Oh, yeah, it's long gone. There's, there's nothing But you got there. that retro store that's right. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's right across the street. So you guys, so. Think, that was like an attraction when we were younger because when we were younger, we had Pizza Hut. The Harford Mall or Dino's. That's like all, all we had to choose from. So if we were going to Dino's, we're like, get the quarters ready because they've got Donkey Kong. That's crazy. Was that back when Route 1 was a dirt road? No, no. I mean, I'm not that old. Man. <laughs> well, I, mean, I don't know. Man. We had we did have the one cow. So when I was growing up, we didn't even have I heard about the cow, right? It's, Betsy. <clears throat> right next to the mattress store, right? Yes. And it was like, yeah, I, I remember my parents telling me about that when I was a kid. Yeah, she was there, and they would not sell the land until Betsy died. So the chilies, all that stuff that's over there, none of that was there. It was just a cow in a big field. <laughs> just and like it, one second. And all the cow. developers are like, when is this thing going to die? That's crazy. You have to respect the love they had for that animal, though. Yeah, no, that is, that is, that is really true to the uh, town, I guess, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to ask you this, but are you an animal person? Yes, absolutely. Okay, 100% animals. Yeah. Yeah, I'm all too. about the cow, man. The, the cow's fantastic. Yeah, I, I wish mean, it was still there. Some some civilizations, societies, whatever, they used to worship the cow, I, and I could see it. <laughs> like the Bel Air cow? Not the Bel Air cow, just the cow in general. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember the golden calf <laughs> from the Bible? <clears throat> see, I went to Catholic school my whole life, and I should know that, but I don't. Yeah, it's... I think I'm not sure which group it was, but they got in trouble. So we're going to get into your songwriting, but you're very prolific. Have you ever considered uh, doing songwriting as almost like a business, like writing songs for other people, like song NFTs? 
if my dad's listening to this, you just caught his attention because he brings that up all the time. And I absolutely hate the idea of it because for me, I understand if I'm going to write the song, it's it's me. I'm putting I'm injecting myself into that song in a way. And I wanted to be able to perform it and really give it what I feel is the emotion I intended rather than just handing somebody like a, a blank script kind of thing and letting them interpret it. Yeah. But that's just me being selfish. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, it could work down the road and I would be open to it. But I'd, like, be, I'd feel weird on the receiving end of it. Like, hi, I wrote this song. Would you <clears throat> like to go perform it? <laughs> like I, I can't perform somebody else's emotion. You know yeah, what I mean? I, I, I do know what you mean. But for me personally, right now, no. I mean, I'm 23 years old. Like I want to, I'm like, I've got this let's get at it mentality and I really want to just like, perform my stuff and play shows and record albums. But later down the road, I wouldn't rule it out. Do you realize you're the same age as I was when we had Samantha, who is now 21? That's crazy, man. Everything's moved back. Can you imagine having like, a child now? No, say. not at all. Yeah. Well, it was a surprise for us, obviously. <clears throat> we, I was 23 going on 24. Lisa was 21 going on 22. And all of a sudden, we're having a kid. Yeah, I'm figuring out how to pay for car insurance right now. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like well, you, you guys also have another <laughs> expense we didn't have, and that's phones. Okay. That, I mean, that's fair. That's fair. I, I give your generation a lot of credit <clears throat> because things didn't cost what they cost now. Yeah. Like, I bought my first house in 1999 for $95,000. The same house we were able to sell for 184000 and that's just going up and up and up and up. So Yeah. Well, think about how minimum wage has also rised like over the it years. Has. Like kids are making like fifteen bucks an hour now at Target. It is true. So when I was in Hollywood, we tried to unionize the store because we we were unhappy with salary caps. And I look back at the old article, and we were making six dollars and fifty cents an hour at living in Hollywood. Like that's insane. In California, like the cost of living. I mean, was it bad back then? I've yes. Heard, I've heard it's bad it was now. terrible. So there was four of us living in a two-bedroom <laughs> apartment in Westwood, and it was $1,600 a month. So you got to cover at least $400 for your rent. You had uh, car insurance, possibly a car payment. You had a beeper. We had beepers, man. You mean like a pager? Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. That's when like- What'd you, would... you do with that? Like, what Like, what was the purpose well, of the pager. So this is the way it worked. You would form sentences with numbers, and then the person receiving the numbers would have to figure out. You had to figure out what they were saying to you. So, like, I love you was four space, and then whatever the the letter correlations are on the phone for L U V or L O V E, and then I think eight was you. So you had to figure things out. So if you're like, I'm going to the bar or something like that, you'd be like, it'd take you like 25 minutes to figure out the Sudoku puzzle that's coming into your pager. It's like prehistoric texting. Well, <laughs> basically it was, man. <laughs> that's crazy because like when I was growing up, my mom, she works at up, uh, the Upper Chesapeake Hospital and uh, she had a pager. And, and when we couldn't reach her on like the normal phone or whatever – we called the pager, but all the pager did was like notify her that we called. Yeah, just letting her know that you were looking for her. Yeah. That was basically it, it, the it, idea. It didn't make any sense. Yeah. I well because It we was like there was a middleman and it's like, why is this middleman here? But we didn't have phones themselves. So if you had a pager, it was just like basically, oh, oh my dad's trying to get a hold of me. So I better go find a pay phone so I can call my dad. Man. Yeah. So it was a rough time. <laughs> 
When I ran away to Hollywood, I also didn't have MapQuest. I had AAA maps, like 20 of them for each state. This was an insane time. So you're driving with this, you know, one of those like accordion style maps, trying to like figure out what you're doing. And all Dude, you, yeah, I think I think about that all the time. Yeah. Like as a delivery driver, right? I'm like as a delivery driver. If I didn't, if I couldn't just type in an address and just leisurely drive there. Like, you know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, like I would have adapted and figured it out if I was living in that time. But like that, to me, that's crazy that like you probably had to memorize all the yes. houses. Well, we, we memorize our regulars now, but like, <clears throat> that's just crazy to me. Well, you probably do the same thing because Lisa and I were pizza delivery people as well for a very long time. Right. And so you would see like, oh, it was called Sirius Pizza. It was right behind the mall, right across from Musicland. Okay. It's a vape shop now. Uh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. I, I think know, it's I um, vape runners now. Yeah. But yeah. either way, the first thing you would see is 515 or 569. You're like, okay, that's Abingdon. So that, that was the first like so indication. You were breaking it down with area code first. Right. Okay. We would break it down like that. And then your brain would kind of start remembering like, oh, Walden Road is like the last set of apartments. Right behind, it's right behind the Wawa. That's funny. We yeah, still yeah, we still yeah. deliver back there. Yeah. yeah. And that was always like, okay, that's the longest drive I've got of the night. Because you would take like two or three with you to get down there. Okay. Yeah. That's good. So one of the things that you have, I think, an advantage at you know, like going forward is the fact that you are a songwriter. And for all of my projects, there was always albums and music before there was a band. Because the one thing that a lot of people can't do is they can play but they can't write. Where did the songwriting come from? I wanted to get into your process. We're going to get into that a little bit later. But when did you realize, you know what? I can write songs. I'm good at this. After years of frustration, honestly. Because like I, when I first started writing songs, everything, like it was like every time I was writing a song, it was like the next Bohemian Rhapsody. And I had to make this big thing. And it's like, this is the intro. And there's like this two minute Which is so juxtaposed <clears throat> to what you're writing now. You know what I mean? And, yeah. then, and then I really, when I turned 20, I got into the Beatles. So I got into the Beatles kind of late. But once I got into the Beatles, I was like, you know what? I've completely changed my ideology around songwriting and I'm going to make the shortest song possible and try to make it as catchy as I can, the shortest I can and get the point across as fast as I can. It's almost a punk rock approach. Yeah. And I love punk rock. As far as that songwriting process goes now, I'm trying to, um, I guess, amp things up a little bit and get creative again on top of that. I had to break it down. I had to really figure out how to write just a quick hitter for me to get to the point now where I can like put together songs that I guess are a little bit more instrumentally, I don't know, diverse or... You've brought your acoustic guitar here. We're going to get a song out of you. What are we going to hear? Clutch. Clutch? Yep. Like the Baltimore based rock band? Yeah. Or just the word. (laughs) All right. So... Clutch, take it away. Stay only come to find is when she cries 
That was great. So you got your songs, and I finally pieced together that you are also in Vendetta. I don't know why I didn't know that, but do you take these songs into Vendetta, or are those songs more just your songs? Those are just mine. Okay. But with Vendetta, we have um, we've always had a writing process where Dom will bring something to the table. I'll sit down with them and we'll work it out. Fonterra. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And he usually has like seventy five percent of the song done, and then Did we'll- you know I went to high school with his father. Did you, Zeb? Yeah. Yeah, he's a good guy, man. Yeah, he is. He's an interesting guy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like 75% of the song. Yeah, so like Dom will come, he'll have a good idea of what he wants. Right. With Vendetta, it's really instrumentally driven. Okay. Like, we like to have a lot of uh, interludes and weird sections and stuff to like kind of add to the song. So it's it's not, it's a different writing style than like what I do solo, where I'm thinking more so of like the quick hitters, like the two, three minute songs. Vendetta's more like, it's a three to five minute song where we have those nice instrumental periods too. Yeah. 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 It's, very, it's very catchy. I, I did notice that songs like The Abuser are barely clocking in at two minutes. Yeah. But a very effective song <clears throat> lyrically. Yeah. You, lyrically, emotionally, and duration. Because I mean, the way I see it, people's attention span is so short that if I can't say it in two, three minutes, like... I don't know. You so know. are these the songs that you're primarily playing at the open mics, like Black Eyed Susie's, uh, Humagalas? Yeah. Yeah. A okay. lot of a lot of my... Um... Do you bust out any Vendetta? <clears throat> no, not personally, not solo. I okay. don't think I can do Vendetta justice. I think Dom's got a different... Like, we have different voices, and okay. I don't think I could do his songs justice. Yeah, I've tried sense. to do a couple of them. And maybe one that kind day of falls into the realm of performing somebody else's kind of emotion, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. And like, I like playing it with Vendetta. Yeah, and then I'll leave it at that. I'll play the bass. And Vendetta's been going for actually a very long time. We're going on four years. Yeah, yeah. So it's you know you're, you're through high school at that point, mm-hmm. right? So you probably started though roughly at the tail end of high school. <clears throat> I was twenty, and they were eighteen. Okay, yeah. So they were just they just were they were seniors. Yeah. They were getting. I remember they were going to senior week like a month after we started. Yeah. All right, I'm going to read the news real quick, and then we'll get back into it. All right. All right, Transcendent Events is bringing the Maryland Day Festival to Power Plant Live, which you played at on March 25th from 12 to 8 p.m. This is going to be super cool. It's 40 bands, DJs. We got Tasty Food. Uh, You've played Power Plant. What is that experience like for somebody that's never actually been there or uh, maybe a band that's never had the opportunity to play there? Well, First, I just want to clarify for the people listening. I played it during COVID, and we had a... No, we, no, no, no. <laughs> Take the it, credit, man. It's it so was, cool. It was so cool. It was yeah, so yeah. cool. And Kevin Houck, thank you for that show. But um, yeah, it's like uh, 
you feel kind of small up there, but everything feels exaggerated because the stage sound, it's like, it's like relatively quiet. You don't feel like that loud up there, but it carries. Yes. It's like a really weird disconnect that you're feeling, but it's cool. It's cool. It's almost like you want like a half, like some huge stack behind you. So you could really just feel it hit your back. So this is your opportunity to pitch to Kevin what <clears throat> Maryland Day Festival is going to be in 2024. So what bands should be on Maryland Day Festival 2024? I think Vendetta. Vendetta's. <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> but other than Vendetta. Locally? Yeah, yeah. It's just some uh, local bands you want to give a shout out to, basically. Oh, dude. I mean, there's so many, but... um. One band in particular that I think is doing really well right now, Act 109. And I'd like to get those guys over here. Yeah, at some you should. Point. Yeah. I think uh, when I had Harpen on, they, they brought up Act 109. Yeah. Now, Act 109, uh, Redacted. And Redacted, <clears throat> they don't get enough credit, man. They're like, I feel like they're like a little underground around here. Is it intentional? Or? I, don't, I don't know, but they're honestly one of my favorite bands. And okay. Yeah. They, dude, they kick ass. Yeah. Redacted belongs on any bill around here. Yeah. Yeah. So they've got the respect of the local musicians. They just they, they should. You know, some bands just aren't really good at marketing themselves, or they don't like to market themselves because they I feel that, like it's a little showy. <clears throat> I think that that might be part of it. Yeah. Honestly, but when it comes to just playing and bringing it to the table, dude, they're the guy. Lights out. Lights out. Like every time they play, it's like nearly flawless, All and right. it's crazy. So Act One Hundred Nine and Redacted will get a tag into this episode. You guys reach out to me. I'll try to get at least one or two of you onto the show and get you a little little press. I'll, I'll do the promo for you, so you don't have to do it yourselves. Okay. Uh, Feed the Scene has Soul Meets Body, American Television, Panic Problem, Guest Bed. And I think that's it coming to Holy Free Holies, March 3rd. Have you ever been down to Hamden? Um, it's kind of is, super cool. Is that the cool. crown? I'm just kind of referring to that that strip on 34th Street. It's just a really cool indie area in general. And Holy Free Holies happens to be down there. I've heard of that place. Yeah. I think I should take a trip down there. But Yeah, I would just go down there and walk around. It's just, it's cool. You said 34th Street? 34th Street. Okay. Yeah. They do like the, the Christmas lights down there a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen a lot of that. And then there was Cafe Hun, like Hun Fest and those kind of things. But it's a really cool area. Anyway, again, it's Soul Meets Body, American Television, Panic Problem, and Guest Bed coming to Holy Free Holies on March 3rd. And finally, Rapola Entertainment is bringing Pat Rennie's Driven CD release party to the Record Theater on April 14th with Jimmy Kells, Silversity, Ignite Exposure, and Honest Thief. And finally, be the first to message me folk punk to win a $25 gift card to the Baltimore Decal Gal. All right, so we're going to get into the fun questions really quick. You were somewhat difficult to research, just in general, because you don't have a lot on your Facebook page. There's not a LinkedIn page. So I was like, I don't know a lot about you. So I'm going to start with favorite childhood movie. And the whole idea here is just to like paint the picture of Matt Pataglia to somebody that's never met Matt Pataglia. Favorite childhood movie. What What are we talking childhood? What age? I don't know, like 5 to 12. All right. When I was like 5, it was probably... Toy Story. Okay. Yeah. Good old Toy Story. Did yeah. you have a favorite character? For me, it's the T-Rex. I think he's adorable. I was Buzz Lightyear for Halloween one year. Okay. I was walking these streets, man, right around this neighborhood. I might have come up to your door. You probably did. <laughs> but generally speaking, do you like horror movies, comedy, rom-com, period pieces? <clears throat> like, What is your favorite type of film? I do like horror movies. Not very well-versed 
in horror movies, but whenever somebody brings up like you want to watch a horror movie, I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Because like I get super into it, and I don't really watch a lot of movies in general because I feel like I get so like I get so like zoned into it, and then I feel like anxiety afterwards. Whether not even like horror, just like anything almost anything serious like a comedy i like comedies because i can just walk away from it and be like oh that was yeah funny. right even if you don't yeah. finish watching it exactly. you last a couple times you're good yeah so like um i mean growing up my my favorite movie ever was probably super bad i, I just love that movie man it just it, it, super bad. it pressed all the right buttons in my teenage heart man it's That's fantastic like, it, it's a hilarious movie too it was like yeah all right Sugar candies, Skittles, Runts, Nerds, or do you prefer the chocolate variety? When I was younger, I was a sweet guy, mm-hmm. like like the the sugar sweet. The, yeah, and now I'm more of a chocolate guy. Isn't that weird? Yeah. You smoke cigarettes? Yeah, I did. Did you quit smoking cigarettes? Yeah, that's actually. what happened to me. So I was into the really sugary stuff when I smoked the cigarettes, but when I stopped the cigarettes, I started wanting chocolate. Interesting. Yeah. So, and it's you've obviously followed the same trajectory. Yeah. See, now if I'm gonna have like a dessert, I usually just have some ice cream. Okay. But um, yeah. If there's chocolate around, like Hershey, yeah, Kit Kat, yeah, but like <laughs> Reese's, dude. Yeah, I know. Well, Reese's, <laughs> they won the war, man. I don't know what it. I don't know what they're putting in that stuff, but uh, yeah, I don't know what this fake peanut butter is. <laughs> no, like I'm telling you right now, like Halloween was bad because like I actually feel like I got addicted to candy for like two weeks. Like I was like, I got to the point where I was like, all right, Matt, you gotta stop. Yeah, like you gotta stop. Your body's this. gonna shut down. Your doctor. <laughs> no, I was like, dude, I I was walking out of uh, Looney's one night. And you're going to develop a chronic illness or something. And I was leaving and I, I, I just like, I go over to the Seven Eleven. I'm walking in like a zombie and I just grab a Reese's bar and it's just like, or walking out with that and <laughs> just walking away. My friends just see it in my hand. I'm just like, I don't know. Man. All right. So we've got Toy Story, horror movies, Reese's Pieces, favorite vacation spot. Like what's the one place you, you? I don't take enough vacations to be honest with you. Like when I, you were younger, was it like Ocean City, Myrtle we, Beach? We went to uh, Outer Banks. Outer Banks in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and which is cool. But I love Ocean City, and I, I got to get out there more. Honestly, what is it about Ocean City that you like? Um, I went there a ton too, and I, I like it too. But the locals will probably hate this, but like I love how commercial it is. Honestly, it's. It, it makes no bones about what it is. We're so commercial that we're actually the alternative place to go. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but like, I just love that place. I will give you a, a bit of a tip, and that is that dig into it because there's a lot of venues. We used to play in Ocean City, Delaware all the time. There was a pretty decent scene up there, and you didn't have to do the cover circuit. You could do your music. I've heard like Dewey Beach. Dewey Beach. There was the Dewey Beach Festival at the Rusty Rudder. Yeah. There was the Monkey Barrel in Salisbury, Salty Dog Cafe. Some of them are like kind of hole in the walls, but it's just cool to take a weekend trip with the guys. I'd love to, yeah. honestly. Every once in a while, Secrets will have locals in there and you get to play like the big stage with the big you know, Teletron eyeball. It's really cool, man. Yeah. And I I, I started up a, a new project recently and um, we kind of play like a indie beachy kind of rock thing and like kind of like I, ballyhoo or not like reggae okay but like um i'd have to show you it okay like, but like uh i think we could fit in well down there and i'm definitely gonna look into that in the future all right if you could trade places with one hollywood celebrity who would it be 
Not musicians, celebrity like Brad Pitt, George Clooney. <clears throat> I don't. I don't know. I don't know. It's a tough question. It is because I, I, I don't. I don't like the idea of just being famous for being famous. You know, just being like one of those guys. Like, but like. I'm glad to hear that because we're going to get into that. Yeah, I actually have a question about that because um, fame in your generation is totally different. I suppose it is honestly because because of cell phones and how quick and accessible everything is now. So like you literally can't escape. You know, like we're in back in the day, you could kind of close the curtain. Yeah, but now it's not not so much. Right. But um. So if but if you could be famous for the sake of being famous. <clears throat> oh man, Tom Hanks is a pretty cool guy. Yeah. Yeah. So not, Tom Hanks. Yeah. Huh? But, Seems like a. Do you have a favorite movie of his? I mean, come on, Forrest Gump, like good old Forrest Gump. Can't get wrong, man. No, Da Vinci Code. That was yeah. a good one. That was kind of like his. Uh, what was that movie with Nick Cage? National Treasure. National Treasure. Yeah. Uh, how about musician? Is there a musician if you could step into their body <clears throat> and you could become them briefly? Who would it be? Right now, probably my boy from Ocean Alley, Baden Donegal. He's like one of my favorite singers, dude. Ocean and, Alley. Yeah. Okay. I would love to play in that band. But don't get me wrong, dude. Like, if Bade never hears this, dude, I don't want to be you. You know what I mean? Like, do you? I'll do me. No, yeah, yeah. That, that was just the question. I mean, I get that. Um, favorite books. I personally love musical biographies. <clears throat> Other than that, it's got to be either really philosophical, like The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe or uh, The Screw Tape Letters or something like that. Or it's just got to be light fair, like a biography on Slash. He said, favorite book, man. You know what I used to like? I feel it, like you read books. I don't know. You're, I, you're lyrical. Do, do I come off as a book reader? No, but I do have that you come across as somebody that may have wrote poetry at some point. Yes. Uh, See, when I was younger, I wrote a lot of poetry. I wrote poetry before I ever played music. It makes and sense. I, I used to, I love writing poetry, but... um. As far as reading, dude, I cannot focus. Like, I, I mean, just jumping off the screen kind of thing yeah, or, or page. Give me an audiobook. I skim. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of times I'll read a paragraph and I'm like, dude, you could have said this in two sentences. And like, you're getting into like every last detail, which the poet and songwriter in me loves that in a way. But like, sometimes when I'm just reading like a book, like, I don't know. Like, it's just, it's just tough for me. Okay. No, I, I'm kind of the same way. Unless I'm actually sitting on a beach and have a book in front of me and there's nowhere to go, I have a very hard time doing it because while I'm reading it, I kind of want to play the guitar. I kind of want to lift weights. I kind of want to play chess. I want to pet the dog, watch TV. <laughs> and it's like, I, I can't do all six things at once here. So yeah. it is tough. Definitely. And it's tough to focus. Like, I feel like my eyes are actually like kind of at all times tremoring a little bit. You can't see my hands if you're listening to this, but kind of shaking them. But yeah. 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 Well, so, okay. So when I was younger, I did read because we had to read for school. Right. And I did kind of enjoy it, honestly. Uh, I like The Hobbit. That was a great story. Tolkien. Yeah. Lord of the Rings. But uh, Zeppelin wrote quite a few songs about it. Yeah. Series of Unfortunate Events. And that's such a mundane like title, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just like series of unfortunate events. But I promise it was not just depressing; it was interesting. It was a good one. It was good. And then there was the Percy Jackson series. All right, I did so like that too. The last fun question for you: What era of music would you like to revisit if you had a time machine? I'm split between the '60s and the '90s, which is really what the music kind of sounds like, which is interesting. What do you mean? Your music. Oh, what, 60s and 90s? Yeah. Yeah, those are, my, those are my favorite things, you know, like uh, for 90s. It's so weird. It's like this early rock. <laughs> At one point, uh, I'll get into it, but like one of your songs, I think it's Watch Your Step, and it almost has a monkey's feel to it, which yeah, is weird. Yeah, no, it's, it, that, that one in particular, um, 
I used uh, like a doo wop kind of chord progression yeah. for that, and but it was sped up. But but I love that. I Not love, as sped up as Aspen. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, dude. I love that song too. But uh, well, you should. <laughs> that, like, that's, that, that's a song of mine that I've written that I'm like, yeah, that was a good song. That was a good one. And there's a lot of songs that I don't feel that way about. So before we get into all that, let's talk about music <laughs> consumption. How is fame viewed by somebody that's 23 years old? Like fame in 2023, because like you just said, the accessibility is now the thing. One of the cool things about growing up in our generation was we didn't have accessibility to anybody. So they were like mythical creatures to us, like Jimmy Page, Robert Plant. Like they weren't human beings. They were actually David Bowie from like another universe. But now it's kind of like, oh, well, I, I can see what this person had for lunch today or what they're bitching about. Yeah, cool in some ways, not cool in other ways. Right. But uh, Very invasive. Yeah, for me, like, <clears throat> I, I like the whole like the whole like fame thing and like look dude like I'm a 23 year old musician if I get an opportunity to take off and take my career to the next level I'm gonna take it but like I would rather not be the next Justin Bieber you know what I mean like I I want to be that guy who like you hear is coming to town and you're like oh this is sick you come out to the show and then you forget about me for six months you know what I Which mean? Which is fine. But and exactly. That's the way it was. That's what I want. Because then when you play again, if you did a good job and yeah, there's a buzz about you, people are coming and they're excited to see you. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like underground legends are who I look up to, I guess, nowadays. But was, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not above the classics and stuff. Like all these like great acts and stuff I look up to. But I wouldn't want to be like on the cover of magazines and stuff. You know what I mean? Like it, it would just make me feel weird. Honestly, I would rather I just, think that's what happened to Kurt. Basically. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think I, like just, he made it and then he was like, I don't really want this. Yeah. I want to go back to obscurity, but now he was like larger than life. Yeah. I just, I just want to play music. Yeah. But like, I don't want to have to worry about finances at the same time. You know what I mean? So I got to find some in between with that. As we've gotten to kind of pull the curtain back a little bit now, we're starting to realize that a lot of these rags riches type stories, they're just that. They're stories because they, they all had an in. Like, oh, well, they played on the streets and they did a lot of drugs, this, that, and the other. But their mother did the artwork for the Rolling Stones. So they had an in into the business that we just weren't aware of because they were very good at kind of like creating the mythos around the band. But now everything's coming out and it's like, okay, I know your story. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely in some cases. In some cases, destroying some of it. Yeah. But you look at some cases, like look at look at the Gallagher brothers from Oasis, which we were talking about yeah. earlier. They they were like dirt poor, and they just like wrote some songs that like took off, and now they're just like rich assholes. <laughs> but I love their music. <laughs> they, they hate each other. I love Noel's their music. Noel's the only one still doing it, right? Um, because the other one hates. Yeah, he's, everything do, he's, and everybody. he's doing the 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 high flying birds or whatever. Liam's doing like a like a poppier kind of thing. It's cool. It's it. it it's interesting. Which one Check said that out. there's nothing dignified about touring at this age? I don't know, man. They they both. They, but they, they're both touring or playing in some capacity. It's like, yeah, what are you talking about? I, I, I don't know. Look, it, I have a complex relationship with those two individuals because I look up to them so much as musicians, but just as people, they, to me, they're just like very comical. Right. Like I like I just like. I, I'm not sure which one of them it is, but he has an opinion on everything. Seems to hate everything. Probably and, Noel. And it's and he, it's funny because I like Noel. Noel. I like I like yeah. Noel, I like Noel the most. He's like one of my favorite songwriters. But uh, but he's so incredibly hypocr hypocritical about what he says. <laughs> he's like he's he's so he's so black or white. 
Right. It's like everything's got to be like a snap. Like I'm no Gallagher, and I think this, and yeah, like it's just so. But funny then they'll call him out on something that he said. Like, yeah, but you're doing that, and he'll be like, "Well, I make the rules, not you." Yeah, you know what, it's like, what are you like, talking about? Like, like, and like you know, like the the part that cracks me up, man. Like, take off your sunglasses, man. Come on, right? Like, you're inside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like getting uh, kind of along that line of thinking. Do you like? the way that music is produced now, because I've noticed that your music is kind of, it's reminiscent to me of the way music used to be recorded. It sounds very organic, but I have no issue with bands that overproduce because you are going to a place to get it right, a studio. Mm-hmm. And that's that could just be a creative choice, but there is also something to be said for just recording the damn song. Okay. Well, for starters... For my solo stuff, yeah, I like the way it's turned out. It's it's I do too. It's still got that kind of old feel to it, but it's like it's polished, and I like that. Yeah, and in the future, I think I might dial back the polish a little bit, but like I like the level where that's at. Where are you recording? For Still Studio with Josiah. Shout out, yeah. shout out to Josiah, <laughs> Josiah, Terry, Wigs. See, our bands grew up it. together. That's it's kind of funny. Tears of Mars, yeah. Tears of yeah. Mars and Schizo played together a lot. Like yeah, it would be like you guys and, and Redacted, yeah. Act One Hundred Nine and Heartbent. Josiah so. Orzi, big influence of mine, actually. You know, yeah. I, lo- I love that guy. He's one of those people where, like, when he sings, like <laughs> angels fly out of his mouth. I think I said that on Sarah's <laughs> episode because it's <laughs> just like, I mean? it's like, it, like sometimes right, the rest of like, us are trying. <laughs> Josiah, I love it. Yeah, he's fantastic. All right, so let's get into your background. You went to John Carroll, mm-hmm. okay. So take me back to the formative years. Take me back before John Carroll, whatever middle and elementary school you went to. What was your introduction? What were the first records you returned on to? Okay. So here when I was <laughs> when I was growing up, all I listened to was two thousands radio pop. And we're talking like Lady Gaga, Katy Perry. Kanye West, Jason Derulo, like, you know what I mean? Just like stuff like that. And that's got to be very ironic to hear coming out of my mouth. You would have been like, but look, that is not my notes. And I still have such an appreciation for it. Like, I really do believe that that was like a great time period of music, especially pop music. Like it was just like the production was just like genius. It was genius. Lady Gaga was brilliant. Yeah. There was a lot of artists that like, Around like 2005 to 2008, 2009, like I was like, this is amazing. And um, so I was real big on that. And then I'd say eighth grade, I started, I had I had some buddies who liked a little bit, a little Different. bit alternative stuff. Okay. And I started, started experimenting, a little dabble in with like the chili peppers a little bit, you okay. know, Sublime. And then like I got into like ninth grade and then it was like those two bands like became my favorite bands. And it was like Red Hot Chili Peppers, Sublime, Grateful Dead, Led Zeppelin, yada yada, you know what I mean? Like, What just- is it about Zeppelin that seems to cross every single generation? When I was a kid, Zeppelin was like my parents' <laughs> music. But we've had like two generations since then, and it's still a go-to. So for me, I mean, like obviously I'd heard Stairway to Heaven when I was younger. Yeah. But like um what did it for me was Black Dog. I remember when I heard Black Dog. Hey, mama. 
Yeah, I was over at my buddy's house, and he was playing it on a stereo, just like that one right there. So it kind of it sounded a little raunchy, and yeah. I was just like, "Dude, what the hell is this?" But you and like, I was like, "That is crazy." Yep. You know, and and then, and then I just I dove into the Zeppelin thing really hard. I think that they were really good at mixing like accessible bluesy rock and roll music, but also putting an artistic twist on it. Oh yeah, and they they would jam out like they. It's, I mean. You look at some live performances, like they have like a, a 10 minute, 20 minute jam section, yeah. and Jimmy Page would get the bell out and they do all, all over the, the, the crazy stuff. Yeah. And um, they even had the folky side too, where they'd like just make it yeah. acoustic. And like, I don't know. It was, you had an incredible drummer, clearly. Yes. You had John Paul Jones, which is the young son hero. I mean, that, that guy, like, he had to keep bottom he, in place. He kept it all together. I mean, like his bass lines so groovy. When he played piano, it was just like, come on, like no quarter. Like the piano and no quarter just like takes me into another world. And then like they were so experimental. So you have that rhythm section, which is just on fire. And then you get that cherry on top with Plant and Page. And you And Plant's voice was so good. Yeah. They, so good. They were like the Beatles of hard rock. Yeah. I would go with that. How about first instruments? Because Lisa was telling me she saw that you you also play the drums. Obviously, to play the guitar, yeah, you sing. So, you you kind of can do it all. Drums, bass, guitar, and sometimes piano. But I'm not much of a piano player. Just you know enough that you could. You I, put can, the guitar I could. I could fool somebody. Piano. I could fool somebody. Yeah, <laughs> but, that's the same boat I'm in with the piano. Yeah, but as far as actually playing it, nah. So I did you play any like early instruments like the oboe, the glockenspiel, the violin? Nah, I wasn't lucky enough to do that, man. Okay. Uh, I, I didn't either. No, but I, I was no too, oboes. I was too stuck in my uh, my my jock mentality growing up. Oh, okay. I was an athlete. Yeah. So the the transition all kind of started in high school. Yeah, I'd say I'd say age thirteen is when I started to wake up a little bit and be like, hey, like there's more to life than football. But like I love football. Yeah, but, I, pl- I played too. Yeah, it was funny. I was actually kind of like an in the closet musician for a period of time because I thought it was like I don't know. I thought I was like a wuss or something. Like I remember on the football team, my one buddy uh, John Perry at the time would be like, "Hey, like," and I wasn't even like good at guitar yet. I was just like learning. He's like, "Bring your guitar to school and like blah blah blah. Like we can play in the locker room." I'm like. Dude, I can't bring my guitar. It's so funny to you say that. I was like an in the closet <laughs> football player because in high school, in high school, I was like the the artsy musician guy, but I was like secretly playing football in the wreck, <laughs> the wreck squad. It's just funny. We're like inverted. Yeah, no. And the, the, there should have been no shame in it, but I think I was just embarrassed at how bad of a musician I was back then. Sure. But like, I, I love all? it. Yeah. yeah. I loved it. But no, growing <laughs> up like real young, uh, no, it was never anything I was really encouraged to do. We were like definitely a really I was curious about that athletic family. Yeah, and that's kind of what we stuck to. We did that, and then like half, like there's four of us, and half of us were good in school, and the other half was not. <laughs> right, you can guess which half I was on. So and, were your parents supportive of the music? It, but it but it came out of nowhere. So it was like um. Like they were kind of like when it was first happening when I was like, hey, like I was like 16 years old. I was like, I think I'm going to like, like it was my sister, my older sister's guitar, my first guitar I had. And she played very briefly. And my buddy came over and restrung it. And he's like, yeah, you should learn this, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, I would love to now that I listen to all this cool music and stuff. Right. And um, so I'm like, hey, mom, there's this 
there's this guy Vince Corson at Musicland. That's my teacher. That's my teacher. Well, yeah, that, He's I our teacher. Take lessons. Vince with. Is, hasn't aged in like forty years. I know, man. I love that guy. I started going when I was eight. Sometimes I just call him just to piss him off. Nineteen eighty-five, and he's still there. I know, man. And he's just still kicking. He's probably still got the same mentality that he did back then. Yeah. <clears throat> One thing about Vince, he's a rough teacher, and like that's what I liked about it because he really pushed me. He wasn't sugarcoating it. He wasn't telling yeah. me I was doing good just because I was showing up, and like he wasn't like putting me down, but he really pushed me. You to need to take, get this done, or you're wasting my time. Yeah, to take the instrument seriously. But he still made it fun. It wasn't like the teacher I resented. It was like the teacher that I was like, ah, oh, damn, I let Vince down. He liked to. He did like to talk a lot too. Like you <laughs> end up. <laughs> he, he loves talking, man. I, I used to tell my dad, he's like, he's part, he's part guitar teacher, part therapist for me. Yeah. Like I go there to talk to him about my girl problems or whatever. I mean, we would. He would crack me up, man. You know Pace, Dave Pace. Oh yeah. Yeah. Love that, Dave Pace. Well, he's where I recorded the first couple records. He had a... Oh, he had the studio. Yeah, he, on Main he, Street. He, he told me about that, man. Right above the Lutz building. And I remember back, back when he told me that, too. It was so, like, I'd never been to, like, an actual studio anywhere around. Because there was no, like, Forest Hill yeah, or anything. Like, no. I'd just been to basement studios. So he said he had this, like, studio. And to me, it was this, like, mythological fairyland where I was like, oh, my God, you had, like, a studio? Like, yeah. Like, George Martin? Like, it was weird because, like, it'd be, like, one, two in the morning and, and there'd be all these people, bandmates, standing out front of the Lutz building smoking cigarettes. And the local police, I, I don't think they knew what was going on at first. So they'd be like, what are you guys doing out here? Like, we're recording music upstairs, sir. Like, uh, get back to it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we talked a little bit briefly about uh, your poetry. Were you writing poetry in high school? Were you just kind yeah. of doodling like ideas out? Was it just naturally coming to you? Because the one thing a lot of people do struggle with is writing lyrics. They can even write music. They can't write lyrics. And lyrics for me have always flown. Okay. So I kind of separate poetry and lyrical writing because I, for me, lyrical writing, you want to get the message across, but it's primarily based upon syllables and melody. And that's just the way I see it. I mean, there's some people who write the words first. I write the music first. So like, I, I think it's easier that way to write something concise because if you have a line that's like too long and it like sticks out like it just it it just yeah it bothers my ocd honestly you'd be surprised how many words can be cut out of a, of a line that comes into your head yeah it's still convey you know the same I mean? thing and like for me poetry it's all words it's all about the it, it it's romantic it's just like it's just you're sitting there with a pen and paper or in your notes on your phone and you're like um, let me put all these ridiculous words together and try to make something beautiful. And then for music, like putting out a song, I'm like, I don't care if I use basic language. I care more so about the flow. All right. So let's talk about the reason you're here. And that is your music. Yeah. Okay. One of the things that I noticed right away is I cannot find your music. Now it's on SoundCloud. I did find it, <clears throat> but how come more of your music is not on the major channels like Spotify? Okay, so I have I have one single out on all streaming platforms. The Abuser. I got it re-recorded, redone, and that's going to be on my uh, debut album, Dark Art. But it's a great song. Yeah, it's it, it's it's all it's on every platform. It is. Yeah, yeah. So you can you can check that out definitely. But SoundCloud has a lot of. Material that I plan to release in the future, 
I and love it, man. Some I plan. I to- wish you would just release it. <laughs> you could. I. I mean, obviously, Dude, I recording, found it and enjoyed it enough that you know these recordings are rubbish, man. Well, that's the way you hear, but to somebody else, and I, I've heard a lot of music. It, it, I liked it. Yeah, I mean, one song on SoundCloud that I think could maybe sneak into the the real the real world. Aspen, I I, I kind of like how that turned out recording wise. That's fun. That's a fun song. Yeah, just very upbeat and urgent. Not all yeah. the songs are like that. Dark art. That first album EP that I'm gonna put out. It's just all acoustic. Just kind of. It, it's 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 kind of depressing. I wanted to make like depressing poppy songs that are like three minutes with a with a deep message and just real quick. And I don't know, catchy Beatlesque sort of thing, but beyond that, a little bit more rock and roll, like a little bit more like Watcher Step or Aspen, like we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Even though Watcher Step, it's funny you brought that up because actually I really don't like that song anymore. It's the probably the most fleshed out of the demos. It's got more of the riffs. Uh, you very easily follow that bass line. Yeah. And I have in my notes that it sounds like early '60s, uh, like the Beatles with a weird twist of John Denver country. Interesting. Yeah, that's what I heard. So yeah, I've, it's it's funny because like I don't really have um, any country influences, but I have blues. But you have folk and blues. I have, yeah, I've got yeah. blues influences and stuff like Greg Allman, real big influence, and um, I guess Fogarty, and maybe uh, Van Zant. You know, like there's some guys when I was younger that I was listening to that maybe seeped into how I sing that I don't even realize consciously because I've had people say they're like, you kind of have like a country feel to you sometimes. And I'm sometimes, like, yeah. and I'm like, dude, I don't even remotely listen to country. Right. Like well, I, that's good. Then it means it's your yeah, voice. I listen to like some Southern rock, but mm-hmm. like, nah, like no country. So a band that I think really blends it together really well is uh, the glorious sons. I don't know. You would absolutely love them. I get, they're so good at songwriting. Like every single song you're like, yeah, I love that song. You know, so definitely check out the Glorious Sons. And if you want like the kind of popular version of the Glorious Sons, the revivalists are great, obviously. I think I've heard of them. Yeah. Let's briefly talk about uh, The Abuser. It's your most recent release. And I, I know the subtext. You can tell me as much about it as you want. <clears throat> uh, but what was what was the generalized impetus for this particular song? To To put it simply, a lot of times you don't – you look into – I guess a relationship and you can't really see from the outside in everything that's going on. But in an abusive relationship, there's this, there's this power that somebody has over. And it's just, um, it's, it's really about the power that you sometimes don't even know is there, but it's just, it's, it's an evil thing, you know? And it's just, it's, it's a rare, it's a very real thing that, uh, some people unfortunately have to go through, you know. One of the things is you were just saying about being on the outside, you don't always know what's going on. Yeah. But as a parent, you kind of have ideas. You don't know exactly what might be going on, but you have an idea because the person's never bringing the person around. Oh, yeah, and stuff like the, the clues. So what's what's with the disconnect or distance? Well, it's funny because like when when situations unfold and stuff like. It's always like the aha moment where it's like, I knew it all along. Well, we had that, yeah, You yeah. know what I mean? And you're like, you're sitting there, you're like, God, why didn't I do anything? Or why didn't I see this or that? And it's like, and it's sad because it's, that's really the power 
that the character, the abuser has over the victim. Right. Well, it's not just the victim. The abuse actually goes, it's kind of branches out because now, like you said, why didn't I do more? Now yeah, you're, and you're and torturing it, yourself it, for something that this person did to this person. It affects the people around them. Honestly, yeah, yeah. the tale of the abuser is more so like my word over yours. Nobody's going to believe you. Sit down and just yeah. take it. Honestly, that's that's the tale of that. And it's sad, but it's just, it's a reality. And I think with this album, Dark Art, I'm not looking to write songs that make people happy. I'm looking to, I guess, shove a mirror in people's face and be like, hey, these are some realities of life, but present them in a catchy fashion. You know what I mean? Actually, the song Dark Art is one of my favorites from that collection that's on SoundCloud because it's got like a uh, Zeppelin and Clapton vibe, Okay, which obviously you're 23. That wasn't what you grew up with. It's not even really what I grew up with. It's what my parents, your grandparents would have grown up with, you know? Yeah. So it's it's coming very naturally to you. Um, Yeah. Why why do you think that is? I listened to a lot of classic rock when I in my in my formative years. Is there a story behind dark art itself? Kind of like the abuser has a story. It's um the the album kind of is all tailored around uh mental health and like domestic abuse and stuff of that sort. So it, it all kind of comes together, but that song kind of came to me as more so like uh it, it was lyrically spontaneous. You know what I mean? And it's just kind of catchy. What's next for you? Honestly, I'm... Is there going to be music videos? Are you going to take some of that that poetry and maybe make, make a lyric book or something like that? No, I actually haven't thought of doing that. I mean, and a lot but of the poetry... Could. <laughs> a lot of the poetry is long gone. I had, okay. like... My notes were, like, full. And then, like, I got... A, I lost my phone, like... Four or five well, years ago. Well, I'm assuming ago. at some point you've got a full length in your head that you'd like to get down with Josiah. Oh, like, a, so. like an album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like, I mean, like that after the five song EP, which I hope to get done in the next year, um, I, I have some ideas where I want to go from there. But I'm actually really excited about this band that I just started up with some friends of mine. I'm really excited for that. And I'm really excited to get writing for that but as far as my own stuff goes i have a song embrace your adolescence that i recorded that will be released as another single for this album um hopefully in the next few months we're still getting it mixed and mastered over at four still all right matthew battaglia thank you for being on the mouthful graffiti podcast we are going to listen to the abuser thank you for having me it was great